sermon being read this morning was prepared by Reverend Rodney Vermeulen, the Trinity Canadian Reformed Church at Glanbrook, Ontario. It's chosen as text this morning, Hebrews 2, the verses 1 to 4. Hebrews 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, some of us may own a canoe. A canoe, as we know, if it is going to get us somewhere, requires us to paddle the thing. It takes effort to get the canoe to go in the direction you want it to go. But imagine for a moment that you took your canoe to the Red River downtown. And let's say that you launch your canoe into the river, push out from the bank, and then set your paddles down and do nothing. You and I both know what is going to happen. You're going to drift. Like it or not, you are not simply going to float on the water, stay in one place. The current will take you in a certain direction. Do nothing, and you'll simply keep drifting. And in a canoe on the river, you know you're drifting because you have all these visual reference points along the riverbank to tell you that you're moving, drifting downstream. But do the same thing in a little aluminum dinghy in the ocean, and once you're out there and your little 15-horsepower mercury outboard dies, you will also simply drift. The ocean currents will take you in whichever direction the ocean currents are going. You'll be drifting. It won't be nearly as perceptible without the visual reference points, but you'll be drifting for sure. And as long as you do nothing, you'll keep drifting. In the Christian life, brothers and sisters, there is always the danger of drifting. How come that's a constant danger, we wonder? In the first place, the sad reality is that the natural current of our hearts always heads away from God. Just like in the Red River here, the current always flows one way. And if we launch our canoe into the river and do nothing, the current will take us downstream. In the same way, the natural current of our hearts, the downstream current, is away from Jesus Christ, our Savior. In that sense, drifting comes naturally to sinful hearts. Sadly, that's true. But there are a whole host of other reasons that the danger of drifting is so real for us as Christians. Just the busyness of our lives can get us distracted from our focus on Christ. Not enough time to be in his word. Not enough time to attend a Bible study. Too busy to meditate on the gospel. And slowly but surely, we don't mean to. We don't plan it. It just happens. We drift. Little by little, there's a possibility of drift. And then it could be that we discover that being a professing Christian is too hard. It gets us offside with people at work, makes us the odd one out at university, stops us from having all the fun that your neighbors seem to have, 
And so we slowly change. Again, we're not making a conscious decision to change. It just happens. We drift. And sometimes it can be that other things in this life just hold our interest more than Jesus does, like our businesses, our hobbies, our sports. And we don't mean to let these things take anything away from our relationship with the king of the universe. It just, just happens. We drift. And as long as we do nothing, drifting is, or at least becomes, a very real danger. This was a very present challenge for the Hebrews. As we've seen before in our study of Hebrews 1, they were first or second generation Christians who had converted from Judaism. But given everything that they had faced, given that in their experience, this whole Jesus thing wasn't everything it was made out to be, they are very much in danger of drifting back into Judaism and away from their salvation in Jesus Christ. Hence this warning, the first of five very distinct and powerful warnings in the letter, a warning addressed not to unbelievers, but to Christians, to those who know Christ, to those who have faith in Christ, a warning addressed to us too, a warning that the Holy Spirit intends for us to take very seriously, a necessary warning, so that those who are in Christ, us, may remain in Christ and not drift away from him. How do we stop the drift? By paying close attention when God speaks. I've summarized the central thought of our text using this theme. Pay close attention when God speaks, lest you drift away. We'll consider this morning the urgent need to pay close attention. Secondly, the very real danger of neglecting to pay close attention. And third, the glorious gospel you hear when you do pay close attention. First, the urgent need to pay close attention. I've said this many times before, but whenever we find the word therefore at the beginning of a new section of scripture, we must take note. That's most certainly true here. Therefore means that the author of Hebrews here is drawing out an implication of what he has just written. To use sermon language, he's outlined his theological point and argument in chapter 1. And now here in the opening verses of chapter 2, he's going to lay out the application. Because this is true, chapter 1, therefore, you need to do this, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, our text. And we don't need to go over everything we've covered in the previous sermons on chapter 1, but we do need to remind ourselves of the basic points. You see, the Hebrews that this author was writing to were in danger, as we already said, of slipping back into Judaism. But in chapter 1, the author says, don't do that. He says, verses 1 to 3 of that chapter, in the past, in Old Testament days, God spoke. And that's a glorious truth right there. But in the past, he always spoke by the prophets. As glorious and fantastic as it is to have God speak, long ago, he always spoke through intermediaries. intermediaries. Yes, the Old Testament, too, was a glorious period of redemptive history. But listen now, writes the author, we live in the last days, chapter 1, verse 2. This is the period of redemptive history between Christ's resurrection and his yet-to-come return on the clouds of heaven. And in this period of redemptive history, God has spoken to us by his Son. You want to go back to that period of history when God spoke through the prophets? No way. Today, God speaks to us by his very own Son. And when you understand, dear readers, says the author, when you understand how much the Son of God is superior to the angels, 
when you understand that he and he alone is God's son, and here we survey the rest of chapter 1, that his name, son of God, is much more excellent than the name angels, which means messenger, that the Christ is actually worshipped by the angels, when you understand that the angels are God's servants, while Jesus is God's son, when you meditate for a moment on the wonderful truth that the Christ is seated right now on heaven's throne governing all things, every aspect of history, when you contemplate the creative power of the Son, that he laid the foundations of the earth, that he painted the beauty of the heavens, when you think about the fact that his years will never end, when you get all that, when you accept all that glorious truth in faith, then there's no way you want to slip back into Judaism. No. Consider who you have as your savior, the king of the world, the high priest par excellence, the prophet who points out the way of salvation, who is the way of salvation. Given all that, given who has redeemed you, given his might and majesty and glory and power and magnificence, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Do you get a sense of the importance of this, therefore? Given everything we know about the Son of God, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. And the way the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes it here really underscores the importance of everything captured with the therefore. This phrase, therefore, we must pay much closer attention, speaks to the need to really occupy yourself in the activity of listening. It's to devote yourself to the task of paying attention. It's to listen to every word and to process every word. This is much more than the listening we do when we've got the radio on in our cars. You're listening, but not really listening. And it's no big deal if you miss half a song because you're off daydreaming about something else. But there's way too much at stake here to be content to listen in the same way to the gospel as you listen to music. No, this must be a much closer attention. We understand this, I think, brothers and sisters, because this is the constant call of Scripture. When God speaks, listen, pay attention, act. There's many passages we could have picked to illustrate this. But take Joshua 23, of which we read the first 13 verses. Verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Verse 8 but you shall cling to the Lord your God. Verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. God has rescued his people, given them life in the promised land, and the call is for them to listen, to hear, which means in scripture to obey, to love, to dedicate themselves to God's service, all to, remain that, all to ensure that they remain faithful, that they don't drift. This is the call that comes out clearly through the New Testament, too. Brothers and sisters, there's something else in this phrase, much closer attention, that we need to notice. It's this. There is something comparative in this phrase. The comparison the author makes is this. If the fathers needed to pay attention to the prophets, the Old Testament, which of course they did because then God, too, was speaking, how much more important is it then? How much more how much greater the imperative to pay attention now when God speaks through his Son. The Son of God, you see, is the Word of God made flesh. The Son is everything that God wants for his children to know about their salvation, their rescue from slavery to sin, 
So in these last days, the days of redemptive history in which you and I live, when we hear the word of God, we must pay attention, much closer attention. You cannot get into the canoe of faith and do nothing because then you drift. It's inevitable. Do you get a sense, congregation, of the urgent need to pay close attention? More importantly, are you paying close attention when God speaks? The Hebrews needed to pay attention, close attention to this salvation. So do you and I. Are you? When you're doing your personal devotions, or when your family is doing its devotions, perhaps around the supper table, are you paying close attention? I know there's a million and one other things to think about. There's a thousand and two other thoughts that creep into our minds. But if God is speaking, are you all ears? In church, are you awake, engaged? God is speaking to you by his son through his word. You'll agree with me, it's not at all a good time to drift off into la-la land. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. Like paddling a canoe against the current in a river takes work, because the moment you do nothing, you start going backwards. In the same way, paddling our faith against the natural current of our hearts takes effort. Holy Spirit empowered effort. Prayerful, earnest effort. Because the fact is, we cannot afford to pay close attention. Sorry, because the fact is we can't afford to not pay close attention. We see that in our second point. The real danger of neglecting to pay close attention. Brothers and sisters, we can't shy away from it. There is a real warning here. The author of Hebrews knew what was at stake for his first readers. If they allowed themselves to drift back into Judaism they would be giving up the very salvation they had embraced. They would be turning away from God speaking through his son, the fulfillment, and going back to God speaking through intermediaries, the time of shadows and types. The author realizes the danger, and so he adds a very stern warning, a warning motivated by the Holy Spirit worked love for his readers. It's a warning that the Holy Spirit, too, because God loves us also, needs us to hear this morning. Here's the love-motivated warning. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We're supposed to feel the weight of that, and I pray we do. If those who lived in that long-ago time when God spoke at many times and in many ways were punished when they refused to listen, then how much more can we who live in these last days expect to be punished when God speaks to us by his Son and we're not listening? And we know it happened back then. We know that transgression met with just retribution. Again, we could have picked a multitude of passages from the Old Testament, but think once more on Joshua 23, verse 11 to 13. Be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, and here's the warning of just retribution, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Do you hear the weight of that warning? Further, do you, congregation, hear the nature of the punishment? 
If they drift away from God, then the very salvation as it came to them in the promised land would be lost to them until you perish from off this good ground the Lord your God has given you. The punishment under the old covenant, the just retribution for transgression and disobedience, was ultimately the loss of the very promised land that God gave them. Well, says the author to his readers, you've got to understand. If that's how it was when God spoke through the prophets, when the message was declared by angels, how shall we escape punishment if we neglect the great and glorious salvation that is our Lord Jesus Christ? So lovingly adamant is our author on this point that he actually comes back to it time and again. We find similar warnings in chapter 4, chapter 10, and chapter 12. We read the one from chapter 12. Listen again, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Do we see, brothers and sisters, the very real danger that comes when we fail to pay close attention when God speaks? Yes, the danger is that you drift. But you get a sense of the real danger of drifting when you realize what you are drifting away from and what you are drifting towards. This is where the canoe analogy falls apart because there's nothing inherently dangerous about drifting downstream on the Red River. But take your canoe to Ontario and launch it in the Niagara River a couple hundred meters upstream from Niagara Falls and you can picture the danger of drifting. You would drift to your death. This is not just me being dramatic. Listen to the Holy Spirit's words. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglecting the very great salvation by not paying close attention to what we hear when God speaks means we drift and are in danger of losing that very great salvation. Drifting isn't just, well, whatever, no big deal. No, how shall we escape? We understand then that it's a rhetorical question the answer to which is obvious in the asking of the question. We won't escape. In fact, we'll lose the very salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how none of us, you nor me, can afford to not pay close attention? There's just too much at stake. We need to engage with the word. We've got to pray daily for the presence of Christ's spirits in our lives so that through his power we're paying real and close and careful attention to what he is saying. It means that all those things in our lives that cause God's word and our time with it to play second fiddle to whatever it is that is holding our attention in that moment, those other things need desperately to be reduced on our list of priorities so that we do have time to be in God's word. It means that if we are drifting because, well, it's just too hard being a Christian, this whole commitment to Jesus thing puts me offside with too many people. It means then that I've got to pray earnestly for the Spirit to work in me so that I stop drifting, pick up the paddles of his word, and start a deliberate process of paying close attention to what God has to say to me. It means that here in church, it's way too dangerous to just drift through the service. It means coming, having prayed for Christ's spirit to enable us to hear, really hear what God is saying, lest our drifting here cause us to drift away from God. We need to have a real sense of the urgency of this warning as it came to the Hebrews being addressed in this letter. Each of us needs to take seriously what the Holy Spirit is saying to us here. So 
ask yourself, even as I ask myself, am I paying close attention to the gospel? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ the center, the foundation of my life? Ask yourself, do I have paddles in hand working against the natural current of my heart? Or have I laid my paddles down, content to drift? Or to use other biblical language, do you have the armor of God on? Or have you put it aside? Says the author to the Hebrews, don't do that. Pay close attention to what we have heard. Because, brothers and sisters, when we pay close attention, what we hear is the gospel, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of life, our final point. The glorious gospel you hear when you do pay close attention. Here's the thing, congregation. Listening to all this warning isn't easy. We can be sure it wasn't easy for the first readers of Hebrews. Their life was difficult enough. And then add to it this very heavy warning. But look at what the beauty of what the author does here. Verse 3 again. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And then, it was declared. What is the it? What was declared? We understand. That's the gospel. So here's the thing. How does one escape when one has fallen into the drift trap and so is neglecting his or her salvation? By paying close and careful attention to the very salvation that was declared by the Lord. Let me put it more succinctly. The Christ we so easily drift away from is the same Christ who grants the very salvation we so often neglect. Our God, whom we are rejecting when we drift away from our salvation, be ready to hear the glorious grace in this, is the very God who declared this salvation, this gracious and loving God who we tend to reject with our drifting. What a God. He comes to rescue drifters. He comes to forgive drifting. What a gospel you hear when you pay close attention. It was declared first by the Lord. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And remember, he is the word of God in flesh. He declared the gospel. In doing so, he pointed to himself as the way of salvation. This was and is God speaking to us by his son. Imagine for a moment being in the synagogue in Nazareth and being there hearing Jesus read from the Isaiah scroll. Luke 4, verse 16 to 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They in that synagogue heard the gospel. Now imagine you were there, hearing from Jesus' mouth himself that he is the one who would bring salvation. You'd be listening, wouldn't you? You'd be riveted. Your eyes would be fixed on Jesus, just like everyone else's in the synagogue was. Well, that very same gospel about that very same Jesus comes to you in the Bible. Writes the author of Hebrews, it was attested to us by those who heard. We have that attestation in the Bible. What Peter and James and John saw and heard. We have the eyewitness account of the crucifixion in the Bible. We have the record of what John went through in discovering an empty tomb in the Bible. We have the record firsthand of what transpired when Christ ascended. 
And if that is not enough, our author adds, well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There's lots of record of those things in the Bible too. And we know that in the early New Testament church, the proclamation of the gospel was often accompanied by various miracles and special gifts of the Spirit. But let's not close our eyes to the reality of signs and wonders and various miracles today. When someone repents from sin, that's a miracle. When someone can depend upon God through really difficult trials, some of you are experiencing that right now, that's a wonder, a gift of the Spirit. When someone turns to Christ in faith, that's a miracle equivalent to being raised from the dead. When someone is rescued from a serious drifting away, that's a sure sign that God is at work. And all of it reassures us of the validity and truth of the gospel. What a blessing. I read about it. I see and experience it. I pay close and careful attention to it all. And I can know that I have escaped the punishment my sins deserve. I pay close and careful attention to it all. And I am reassured that, yes, even my sins of drifting are atoned for by the blood of Jesus, my Savior. Am I going to launch my faith canoe into the river of life and let my heart drift off with it, given its natural current? No. Instead, I pick up the paddle, I put on the armor of God, and I pay very close attention to what we have heard, to what we are hearing, so that I don't drift, so that the salvation that is mine, by grace, remains mine. What a gospel it is. A gospel that makes me a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How are you going to respond to this gospel? By paying close attention and letting our thankful response be to borrow words from our scripture reading from chapter 12, to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Amen.